Welcome to the Trade Line Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Moakland. Each of these episodes will feature a top trader or investor, such as market wizards and U.S. investing champions. Make sure to listen carefully as they share their stories and techniques that have allowed them to master their particular styles. This podcast is sponsored by TraderLine University. Click the link in the description to learn more about exclusive experiences, such as the Swing Trading Masterclass, where you can learn directly from Oliver Kell, the U.S. investing champion. In this masterclass, Oliver explains his method comprehensively and walks through specific examples of his traits. Also, be sure to check out the Leadership Blueprints course, which will level up your technical analysis abilities and teach you proprietary edges and techniques you can use to identify and manage true market leaders. And with that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Everyone, welcome back to the Trailline Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Moglin. Joining us today is a very special guest, David Ryan. Uh, David is an extremely experienced investor and trader. He was profiled in Jack Schwager's Market Wizards, along with his mentor, William O'Neill. Uh, he also won the U.S. Investing Championship for three straight years in 1985, 86, and 87, with triple-digit returns each year. Uh, David, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, and uh, welcome. It's truly an honor. Okay. Thank you for, for having me on. My pleasure. Uh, so to start things off, I always think it's really interesting to hear about people's backgrounds and how you first got interested in the stock market and uh, maybe even purchased your first share of a stock. So yeah, could you talk, tell us a little bit about your journey and, and where it all began? Okay. Well, it actually really began around the dinner table. Uh, and this is, you know, this dates me, but back in the late, probably mid to late 60s, my dad would come home. He developed real estate and We'd sit around the dinner table and he would say, oh, I just bought a new stock for you guys for your college education. And he said, oh, I, I, I bought you uh, uh, some shares in this new concept in, in food or fast food. And he said, I bought you some Kentucky Fried Chicken. And so that was one of the first fast food uh, stocks. Or he would say, I, I came home and I bought... Um, I bought some Disney for you. And at that right. time, all there was was Disneyland. There was no Disney World. And the wonderful world of Disney, which would be on at, I think, seven o'clock on Sunday night. So we would watch that as kids all the time. So things like that. He was actually very good in, in selecting themes. He was extremely early on cable television stocks. I mean, people mm -hmm. don't even talk about cable anymore. Um, and uh, he's just... He just reads and he thinks of these themes that he actually gets aboard and he has some nice runs. So, so that's where it first started. But he would bring home the, um, you know, the evening newspaper. That's where you'd only get quotes at the time. And I remember going through and I was looking through the different quotes and I found a stock trading at a dollar. And I asked my dad, I said, look, if I go into my room, open my drawer, get a dollar out of my drawer, can we buy you know, a share in the stock? Said it doesn't work that way. You got to do some research. We got to find some companies that, that are doing well. And a few nights later, he came home with the Wall Street Journal. There was an article on a company called Ward's Foods. They made, mm -hmm. made and you can probably still find these out there, bit of honey and chunky candy bars. And um, so I thought, you know, at that time, what I was probably, I was in my early teens going to junior high school. And I bought 10 shares of Ward's Foods at 10, I think at 10 and a quarter. I still have the confirm on my wall that, uh, that I bought it. And um, I still remember standing out in front of the student store where kids were lining up to get stuff, snacks between at lunchtime. And I said, you got to buy these two candy bars. 
it never worked out. The stock went from 12 or to 10 down to two, but I became fascinated of why my stock went down and I saw other stocks that kept on going up. So, I mean, even, I mean, this is a very strange for someone who was in junior high and then high school getting trial subscriptions to, um, to, to actually daily graphs, uh, which is the precursor to markets, market Smith. Right. Um, uh, of, and then also value line. I got, if I haven't seen a value line in a long time, but I know value line, I, I would get trials to that and just fascinated. So that's, that's where it, that's where it all, all started. And, um, and then, but, and then I actually worked, uh, then I graduated UCLA and I had a friend who was on the, the floor of the P coast or the Pacifico stock exchange. He got me as a, a job as a runner. And that was literally, uh, it was actually shaped like a, a circle and there would be specialists making markets and stocks. They would make it, they would do a transaction piece of paper. I'd take the piece of paper and I'd walk it to someone who would teletype it in and that would go across the board. I thought I was going to be after a few months picked up by one of these specialists and be an assistant and learn how to trade right. through them. And that never, that never happened. And so I've started, you know, I was only there for about three months, but then I started thinking, why don't I get a job at the company that I already get products from? And I was getting daily graphs. And so I walked right up the front stairs of William O'Neill and company and went to the receptionist and said, is there anybody I can talk to about a part-time job, an internship, anything I'll work for free. All I want to do is learn from this guy, William O'Neill, who I've heard has, has done extremely well. So I, I actually talked to his assistant for about a half an hour right after that. Mm -hmm. And then I had an interview with, uh, with Bill the very next day. Wow. And I don't even remember what I, 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 I hopefully I was wearing a jacket and a tie, but I, no one had ever trained, tested, you know, they were coached me on how to go through an interview, but it turned out that I liked some of the stocks that they were recommending. So uh, I, he offered me a part-time job. I did that for a few months and then it worked into a full-time job and I ended up staying for 17 years. So that's kind of the short, quick story of how I got started. That's awesome. And uh, going back to the, the candy um, company being your, your, your first company that you owned, uh, that's kind of uh, almost the genesis of your idea that you want to look around the world around you to, to find ideas, find companies. I know you've said that in previous interviews. And often it's it's the products that we use ourselves that are going to go out and be those true market leaders. Yeah, and and I I think people they I think people make the market so complicated. It really comes down to two things. One, what are you doing with your life? Mm -hmm. What are you buying? Where are you eating out? Where's your restaurants? What car do you drive? What phone do you use? What are your friends talking about? And then just matching up those concepts right. with some rules. Right. Is the stock in an uptrend? Does it have good earnings? You combine those two things and, and then they also have some sell rules and you should be able to find some very, very good stocks because just think of it, you're going to be trying to find the best product at the best price or the best service at the best price. And millions of other people are probably very similar to you and um, they'll be doing the same thing. So you're going to be you're, you're going to be finding some great names. And as long as as long as the tax structure is uh, rewards innovation and entrepreneurship, 
these companies are just going to keep on coming. Right. And, and you've called it the treasure hunt. That That's the name of your chapter in Market Wizards, the, yeah, the treasure hunt. Yeah. I mean, it, the whole thing, it's a game. It's like, well, what's going to be the next concept, the next company that's going to do really, really well? And that's, to, to me, that's why it's, it's, it's fun. It's ongoing. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just, just a lot of fun. 100%. And uh, going back to your very early days at William O'Neill and Company, um, tell us about kind of how you built a relationship with Bill O'Neill. What kind of mentor was he? Uh, was he strict with you? Uh, t- tell me a little bit about the, those interpersonal relationships and, and yeah, how you basically learned from him and, and developed your style. Okay. Well, it, it wasn't as you might think it would be where where I came in and then he would just sit down with me every day. Yeah. No, I mean, I was just a, uh, a peon. I was just, I, I was working in the institutional department, which was right. a great experience because I was around probably 15, 15 men who had been men and women who had been in the markets and talking to large institutions, fidelity, right. all these different mutual funds and banks and, 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 um, and I got to ask them questions and, and some of them were good in the market. A lot of them were, were okay, but most of the time I was filing, I was making charts on sales projections or how well, you know, everybody's doing and things like that. It wasn't until, um, until I actually won a U.S. investing championships that I actually started getting attention from William O'Neill and was actually able to go in. They would have a Monday morning sales meeting where they Mm -hmm. would go over their ideas, his ideas for the week and what he wanted to do and things like that. And, you know, as, as a, you know, if I would say of, I mean, that was a good thing, but it is, it was actually a little bit of a fault in terms of hiring people, um, with uh, with O'Neill because he would place so much emphasis on how well you could pick stocks that <laughs> sometimes he would look past uh, you know other things so right. so that's a you know that was a, a a good thing that I did well in the market but um so um yeah so that's then uh, then eventually I started giving him ideas for for their institutional a product uh, recommendations, and then started working more closely with them uh, as I started doing that. And then I guess, I'm not sure if it was in 87 or 86, uh, I think it was in 87, where he actually gave me some of the company's money to invest and, um, and would be rewarded if I made money in that account. So I was, I guess, the first PM or portfolio manager within the company. And, and I guess they went on to have a lot more after, after I left or so. Absolutely. And uh, going back to, to how you learned, obviously you learned from the, the other people in institutional sales, um, but were there any books that you read, any other top traders that really influenced you and helped you along your path? Yeah. You know, uh, so much of it was, you know, uh, was, I, I don't want to say it was self-taught, but um the institutional salesmen, they didn't, you know, I mean, they just kind of gave me an idea of what was going on out there. But, um, and then O'Neill hadn't written the book yet. I Mm -hmm. mean, that book was not for at least another three or four years. I still have a copy of like the, uh, the original, original, which was just a uh, pieces of paper with a binding on it and at no cover and things like that. And so, so, and he, he rarely gave, you know, I mean, 
every once in a while he would kind of give an in in-house kind of can slim type of talk. Right. Um, so it really was, it was, I, I, I guess I learned from, they had books of their recommendations. It's called new stock market ideas. And I would go through and I would start, I would start looking at, see where they would make the recommendation and then where it was taken out. Um, and so I would learn that from that. But my biggest learning experience was from studying my own mistakes. Right. Because uh, I, in 1982, I had an account that was at 30000 I think I had $30,000. And, and then, you know, the market exploded in August of 82. And I had, you know, I had a great move. Uh, and I doubled the account. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just, I was just, part of a huge bull market. It wasn't really all my skill and I really didn't know what I was doing. And, and so I was already at the company for a year and then, then we got into a horrible market or it just growth stopped working. Nothing was working. I started getting chopped up completely. And that account went from 16, sorry, 60,000 down to $16,000. So I completely, I mean, that's, that's pretty much blowing up. I finally sat down one weekend and I went through every single stock I bought for the prior year and found out what I was doing wrong. And I just found out that I, there was a pattern that just kept on showing up over and over and over again. It was, I was Mm -hmm. buying extended stocks. So when I cut that, when I stopped doing that, I I finally said, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm only going to buy exactly at the buy point, exactly where the stock was coming out into new highs or above the majority of the base. Right. I'm going to look for the right characteristics. And from that point on, that's, I mean, I think very shortly after that, I got my first great winner and it was a stock called, uh, it was actually called Wards, which is very similar to Wards Foods, but Wards Incorporated, which was an electronic retailer, which then changed its name to Circuit City. There you go. Yeah. And, um, and so had a great win out of that. And then, then just, I was so focused. I wasn't buying pullbacks. I wasn't buying extended stocks. I was buying exactly right. I didn't care what the rest of the market looked like. Um, and so I was buying one setup and one setup only. And that's where I just started hitting one after another, after another. Focusing on one specific setup and just trying right. to master that. Right. I mean, you, you try to do a number of different things. You try to drive, you, you try to buy breakouts and pullbacks and all sorts of different things, or you start mixing styles. That's where you can get into trouble. You just want to try to simplify the whole thing. Absolutely. And how would you describe your own personal uh, time frame? Like, are, would you classify yourself as a swing trader, position trader? And could you give kind of people a sense of your average gain, average loss, and kind of holding periods for both winners and losers? Um, you know, I haven't calculated it in, 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 in a while, but I, when I buy a stock, I want to stay in that stock as long as I possibly can. I do not mm-hmm. like going in and out, in and out. You have to make so many decisions. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I find a good stock that has all the characteristics. I want to keep in this thing as long as it keeps on going. And if right. it's if it's if it's only three weeks, that's fine. If it's six months, it's if it's a year, that that'll that'll be even better, because I always found the stocks usually that I held the longest were the ones where I had my biggest gains on them. Um, 
when I was, um, and so, well, so then in, so in terms of timeframes, I don't know exactly what my average holding, holding period is. A lot of it depends on the market, right? Depends on what stocks are working in the market. Sometimes, you know, technology can be very volatile. And so those are a little bit faster, but things like retailers that can be a little slower and steady. Sometimes I can hold those a lot longer. So it, uh, it, it all depends. I've always said that I, you know, even if you have a number of losers in a year, if you keep those small, but you have one, two, three really nice gains, you should do extremely well right. in the market. Absolutely. And going back to your uh, US investing championship wins, um, how, how is it different competing in a championship versus your own personal trading? Are, are, you, are you taking up a different approach or are you, are you still doing the same thing that you would use today to trade your own account? Um, well, I think in, in something like that, you, you want to turn over a little bit faster and always keep the money moving. And I think when I was doing, when I was investing in those, uh, in those competitions, um, I would be much more, I, I would have fewer positions I would probably have three or four positions, maybe four or five positions. And then every starting position would be at least 10%. And then if the stock started doing well, I would quickly get to a 20% position. And then if it had a really nice run, then I would sell that thing down once it looked like it was about to stall. So that was probably shorter term. Right. And I would be just constantly moving the money from one horse to the next horse to the next horse. And and getting those, getting those gains. The interesting thing about that is that though, after three years of doing that, I, I, and I also entered a fourth year in a row and there I was so focused on the results that I started, uh, I started getting away for, from what I had done well. I was more focused on the results and not enacting the strategy the way it should be. Right. And so I started, I, you know, I, I, I would be taking too big, uh, big of a position. And so right. I would have too much in any one stock and I wouldn't give it enough room. And so actually the fourth year I was flat. And then the fifth year I actually came in second. So, um, so that's, I, that's just sort of like the end of the story, other than the three times that I won that, that yes, you can get so focused on the results that you don't do what you should be doing. Right. And as somebody who's been doing this for decades, uh, you can answer this question. How, how is it different today trading versus back in the eighties, back in the nineties? Um, well, I think that, you know, the, the prices of stocks, I mean, I remember it well, mo most of the time before the, before probably year 2000 is that there were very few stocks that ever traded over $100 a share. Now you've got all these stocks that are trading at ridiculous prices and they're moving, you know, they're moving 20 points in a day or 50 points. It's just, it's, I wish they would split them. So there would be a, just a, it just, it yeah. just get, it's, it's still hard to get used to stocks making such, uh, such big moves. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of how it's really different, you know, I, I, I am a big believer in, well, I mean, if you want to, let me step back one second, mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about investment books and things like that. My, my biggest investment 
influence is actually, and this would be a shock because no one ever talks about this, is, is the Bible, God's mm -hmm. word. There is more investment advice in there than any book ever written in terms of, in terms of just controlling your emotions, fear and greed and discipline. And, and probably one thing that I base all my, um, uh, almost, you know, all my investment uh, uh, criteria on is, is, uh, is a passage found in, in Ecclesiastes, and it's something that a lot of people have heard before, Ecclesiastes 1.9, it talks about there's nothing new under the sun. What was before it has, has already, you know, it will not, you know, you, you think things are new, but it's already existed before. Right. And right. so, so when you talk about, well, you know, how were things back in the eighties or when you in, in these investing championships, I'm buying the exact same stocks, the same characteristics now as I did then. And you can look back at charts from the, I mean, I was looking at a Bethlehem steel chart in uh, 1915. Yeah had all the exact same characteristics as, as a lot of these stocks do today. So there's really nothing new. It just repeats over and over again. And the only thing that's different is the name at the top of the chart because they have very, very similar characteristics. And those are the, the, the can slim characteristics, yes, great earnings sales. Yeah, exactly. That's, you know, the, the things, the, the things that, um, I, I, you know, as I find, I find, you know, everybody's looking for truth these days. Where can I, what, what is true? Well, God's word to me is true and it's been true for 2000 years. And I say the same thing about what O'Neill laid down. I think what he's laid down and the characteristics he originally found is really the truth of what, as how the market works. Mm -hmm. So there's a, so many parallels between the, what he's discovered and what God laid down is that, is that this is how stocks, they operate. If a company has great earnings or a great product, they're going to have great earnings. People are going to want to own that company right. and stock price is going to go up. I don't know how that's going to, how that's going to change unless there are, you know, unless again, um, tax reasons clamps down on entrepreneurship and we don't have any new products and nothing new is made. So, um, so anyway, that's, I, you know, I find truth in <laughs> really one in terms of the market and how you should act and, and how you should trade in the market and then how you should believe and how you should live your life. Right, right. And um, going back a little bit to your time at O'Neill and, and being the chief market strategist, uh, what are kind of a few key things that O'Neill would kind of repeat? What, what are some keys that he passed on to you about how to trade and, and, and how to manage your emotions and manage positions? Um, you know, I actually, I, I spoke for a, a conference. Of, I think it was the last, I don't know what they called it, the, the last, uh, last uh, investment um, seminar that, that uh, William O'Neill and company, yeah, yeah, that they yeah. gave. That was a few years ago in, in Santa Monica. And I actually, I wrote down all these things and I had, um, and so if I could just, I'll just, yeah, quickly go just go through what I, I got. I mean, you know, he's always said, he's always uh, was an optimist. He's never, never forget that this is the greatest country in the world. And you have just so much opportunity. He would say that all the time. Yeah. He would always stay positive and he would also stay, he would stay humble. Mm -hmm. 
And, uh, you know, even against unrealistic odds against going against the Wall Street Journal, uh, you know, he, he, he promoted a newspaper and, and was fairly successful that, with that newspaper, um, even up against incredible odds. And, um, and then uh, a few other things. He said, always know the direction of the economy. Uh, if there's underlying strength to the economy, that usually corresponds with a, with a good market. Be flexible to change your market stance uh, is something that he was a master at doing. When uh, I just remember there would be bear markets that go on for months and months and months and everybody's in a bad mood or yeah. no one can make any money. And all of a sudden he gets his follow through day and he's in there buying stocks while everybody's just sitting around saying, well, it's, it's such a bad market. I can't, you know what? And he's actually getting fully invested and everybody else is sitting on their hands. So, so it's good to be flexible. Details are really important. That's something he'd stressed in the products that we put out at the company. And, uh, and, and the same thing in, in reading a chart and looking at the characteristics of a stock. Um, the littlest detail can make a big difference between a stock being just a, an okay stock and something being a gigantic uh, winner. Um, another thing, you never need a manual to the most successful products ever in introduced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he's, he gave the example of the car, you know, you either push the button now or just turn the key and step on the gas and off you go. You don't need a manual. Right. Uh, and that's the same way when, when I remember in the, the mid to late eight nineties, we started coming out with online products. And I mm -hmm. was one of the first ones to sit down with a programmer and Bloomberg was, was out at the time. And, but we wanted to put everything online and I just kept on telling the guy, we don't want to have anybody to know keystrokes or any backslash things that, that I think a Bloomberg terminal you need to work with. I said, uh, maybe this is an insult, but I said, develop, <laughs> develop it, it for the village idiot. So mm -hmm. anybody can sit down, anybody without any technical know-how and just be able to point and click. Make and it intuitive. Yeah, very easy. You don't need to read the manual and and um, and what's going on. Um, so then always do things the legal way Buy the book, never cut corners, because you especially when you're working for a firm or you're in the business, there's um, there's also compliance that you have to go along with. You never yep. want to get into trouble with that stuff. Uh, keep it simple. Bill only looked at weekly charts. He wouldn't look at daily charts. Not until I think I showed him, started showing him daily charts, but he would always concentrate on the weekly and wouldn't go back and forth. But the weekly actually just takes out a lot of noise mm -hmm. that's going on interday and interweek in the market. Um, and then always challenge the common wisdom of Wall Street. Um, and, um, you know, it, it, you know, the common, uh, there's uh, just a lot of common fallacies in the market that people keep on repeating over and over again. And he would always challenge that. And then the last thing was work hard and remember what's important. You know, success comes through hard work. Um, and, uh, but I, you know, I, I add on to that is that don't work. I mean, work hard, but there are things that are more important than your performance in the market. 
because I've seen so many tragedies in the markets over 40 years. I've seen people commit suicide. I've seen people have families break up, marriages break up because it becomes so important and so over overriding. It's, yeah. it's not worth it. Um, so keep a perspective of what's really, I, I go faith, family, and friends are the three things that are really important out there. Absolutely. That's well put. Um, and, and being in the industry for 40 years, I, I'm sure you've had uh, your ups and downs and, and dealt with losses. Um, how do you get out of a rut when you're, you're not trading to the best of your ability and, and nothing seems to be going right? What, what kind of steps do you take to kind of uh, try to turn things around and get back to your A game? Uh, I just, if, if I've had a number of stocks and let's say it's three, four five stocks in a row that I'm buying and they're just not working out, yeah. uh, then I just immediately start slowing down. I, mm -hmm. I don't take as big of a positions in the stocks, the stocks that I'm buying, smaller positions, and I just wait until things start working. And then I start increasing my positions because if, if, if things aren't working, either, either, either the market's getting tough and it's about to go into a downtrend or a choppy period, yeah. um, or you're just not picking the right stocks. And, right. And, and so why keep on forcing more money and taking bigger positions and saying, well, I got to make it back. I gotta... it, it's really just taking it one stock at a time and try to get that one winner and then get another one and then start getting that confidence back and increasing the size of the, the positions. Absolutely. And um, do you have any advice for, for mindset or, or uh, risk management for, for younger traders out there who just got started in the, in the past few years? Um, if they're just getting started and, you know, they, even if you've had a few years of experience, I mean, I mean, just like, I, I think about somebody who just started, um, you know, since uh, March of 2020, and all they've seen is mostly an up market with very few corrections. Um, that that type of market, and even the market, you know, today is to me is not. It, it comes along once every twenty years. Mm -hmm. This happened in two thousand, nineteen ninety nine, and two thousand, and it's happened again in twenty twenty through twenty twenty one. There are, I mean, a lot of people don't know what a bear market is, and they just think it's just one stock after another, and we all jump aboard this one, and everybody's talking about this one. But it's, uh, there are going to be bad markets that come along. And if you really don't have that much experience, and you've only been in for a few years, I would actually take a majority of your money and <laughs> put it somewhere else where you can't trade with it, uh, because sooner or later, we're going to get into a bad market, and you're going to lose back probably a lot of, of what you've made because you, you've had just the experience of it. Everything only goes up and yeah. you don't really have to sell because you'll get bailed out eventually. Right. So it's, it, to me, it's not really, I mean, yeah, it, again, it, it, sooner or later it's, it's going to happen. It, we just have an a, event of so much liquidity. I mean, the yeah. amount of money that the Fed has pushed into the economy has found its way into the market. And until they start tapering or start raising interest rates, this is probably going to go on for a while where we're going to have this rotation, one group, one week, and then the next group, and it just keeps on rotating around. So, but and I, I would, I'd tell them to go slow and also to, yeah, 
use a smaller portion of their money, learn from your mistakes. You'll learn more about yourself and your own trading by studying what you do right or wrong. And, and diving into that a little bit, what, what kind of recommendations do you have for people who want to do post-trade analysis? What's kind of your process? Uh, do you pick the, the best five winners you had, uh, worst five losers? What, how do you kind of go about it? Yeah, you can. I mean, uh, now these days, everything's online. Every All your trading is online. And so you can go and see what have been the, your biggest gainers, biggest losers, and then go in and start studying those. And and the other thing, too, is it, it's good to do is to uh, screenshot charts of the stocks that you're buying. Right. Put them in a, into a file and then just go back, go back, uh, you know, a month later, six months later, and just study where you went in and, and why were you buying at that point? It's also good. It's also good. I used to print the charts out because mm -hmm. we couldn't save them to anything. And you just print them out and write on them and then just look at them and, and see, and then print out the chart after you've, uh, after the transaction's over to see where you went right or, or where, you, where you went wrong. But that will expose things about yourself that you probably didn't know. It's yeah. it's actually very hard to study your mistakes too. A lot of people they don't want to they don't want to admit they've made mistakes. But if you can be humble enough to admit that you're wrong, study where you went wrong, and then correct that, then you'll be you'll you'll do a lot better in the market. Um, so, but it 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 takes it takes humility to be able to do that. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like a athlete studying game film of the good and the bad games and trying to find their weaknesses and, and also what they're doing right as well. Right. Because yeah, I've had people who've, you know, written me or, or, or asked me, I said, Yo, can, you know, can I just sit right next to you and see what you're doing and, right. and, or you can see what I'm doing, but I don't know the thoughts in your head. I don't know your, your mental makeup. I think there's a certain makeup of, uh, of an individual um, who can be successful in the market. They have to be very disciplined. They also have to have a background of being able to take risks, uh, be able to admit mistakes and say, and take a loss. Um, that's, that's so important. Um, you know, I've always said, you got to, when you come into your trading office or room or wherever it is, you have to take your ego and throw it in the trash can and just be able to admit Hey, I'm going to make a mistake. Uh, I'm probably going to make a number of mistakes and I just got to learn from them and move on. Absolutely. And uh, you, you've kind of already touched on this a few times, but um, how important is lifestyle when, when it comes to trading and investing? You, you've talked about how you don't want to be too active because then you have to make so many decisions. Um, so yeah, how do you take that into account? How, how much time in front of the screens? And uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I almost think it's sometimes it's better not to be sitting in front of the screen the whole time mm -hmm. and, um, and actually get away or, or just even turn, maybe not turn it off, but go to another room and do your reading and do your research on individual companies um, than sitting there and watching every little tick going up and down. I mean, I guess you have to do that if you're a day trader, if you're very, very short term, but, uh, but if you like to take positions and try to stay with them for a long period of time, then it's actually better not to look at the interday swings because yeah. 
sometimes, you know, these, a 10 minute chart can get, you, you could start going, oh my gosh, this thing's getting killed where then you step back and you look at a weekly chart and you go, there's nothing wrong here. Right. So you have to, I guess, decide on what time frame you want to be trading. And that's, that will dictate how much time you're sitting in, in front of the screen. Absolutely. And um, I've done a lot of interviews uh, with uh, some veteran tra veteran traders like like Mark Minervini. Um, and one thing I always like to hear about is their their weekend and also daily routines and how they go about like preparing for the next day to set themselves up for success. So, uh, so would you mind kind of walking us through what you do on a weekend to analyze the market, find stocks to trade for the next week, and and kind of yeah narrow narrow your focus to only the best the best opportunities. Well, I. Um... I spend a lot of time, uh, usually on, on a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, uh, going through as many stocks as I possibly can. Mm -hmm. um, I look at the, I'm, I'm, I'm ex almost exclusively using MarketSmith charts, and I'm going through a bunch of screens. The, I, I go through, they've got a uh, MarketSmith 250, mm -hmm. which is the best stocks based on earnings and relative strength. I go through all of those. Uh, I have my own, I call it my own monitor. I call it data monitor after a product that, that, that uh, O'Neill used to put out where it's, it's just a list of stocks mm -hmm. that I, I constantly add some to. And I take the ones that aren't performing well and I take those out. I go through those. Mm -hmm. and, then, um, and then I'll go through maybe a few different other screens that I have set. Um, and I'm just trying, I, you know, then I go through a lot of group charts I like to look at the top 50. I like to see what's moving to the top 50 groups out of 297 mm -hmm. they have. Um, and so I'm trying to see, is there a group theme that's coming on? Because lots of times when a stock makes a great move, it's along with the group. Um, so if, if I can, I try, I actually try to get through as many hundreds and hundreds of stocks as I possibly can. Um, and that's one, I've always said it's one problem and they're, they're trying to correct it at MarketSmith where uh, most of the time you can only go through one stock at a time on, on your screen. Now on the iPad, you can go through about four at a time. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that helps because I used to go through when daily, when, um, yeah, it was daily graphs, you would have a blue book, you'd have a green book. One was New York, one was over the counter in American. And that was 2000 stocks. And I could flip through those really quickly. And I can go through both books in a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Now it takes me twice as long to go through 600 or 700 stocks, but you know, I think they're, they're working on it. And so, uh, I think, the technology will finally keep kept up, but that was a step back um, when they actually went, when they eliminated the printed product and went only to this one. So looking at all those stocks kind of give you a sense of what groups are setting up, what, where to focus your attention and also on the overall market health as well. And the Oh yeah. The I, yeah. I get the greatest feel for the market from looking at so many individual stocks and are there new stocks that are, are, are breaking out or setting up. Um, and the, you know, the thing about this market is that it's been, uh, even as the market has been coming off, there's still stocks that are holding up or they're breaking out. Usually in the past, when we'd go into a correction, there wouldn't be anything to buy and they would yeah. all be rolling over. And so um, 
uh, so yeah, so this the rotation that keeps on going on, but you can find that by going through as many stocks as you possibly can to see these, these, different, uh, these different trends. And um, uh, on, on Sunday, how many stocks do you have on your focus list for that next week? Uh, kind of how, how many stocks are you narrowly kind of choosing between for potential buy opportunities going into the next week? Well, I probably come up, I mean, I, I don't know. It looks like this week when I look at the list that I have. Um, there are a lot of setups it, this week. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. There was, I probably had, I probably had about 15 different stocks that looked pretty good, but I narrowed it down to, um, to a few stocks, but then I also have a number of alerts set on other stocks. So yeah. when the market starts off, um, I, you know, I start having all sorts of alerts going on. So it's not just the list that I went over this week, but some of the alerts I set on stocks from the prior weeks. Right. Makes sense. So, and, and then, uh, yeah. yeah, then during the week, I, you know, every day I'm going through and I'm running, you know, also running screens or just seeing what's, you know, what's acting well, what sectors are acting well, and, and just doing more research, looking at more stocks. Awesome. And, and, and getting into your daily routine, can you kind of also walk me through a typical day starting from the pre-market to when the bell rings, what time are you waiting until to potentially enter a position? And also what are you doing after the market closes? Yeah. Um, one disadvantage, it's, it's a good thing. It's a bad thing uh, about being on the West coast in that the market opens at six 30. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to get up, you have to get up very, very early. Um, and now that I'm not managing money for other people, I don't have to get up as early, but I'm usually sitting down at around six. So I got a half an hour to kind of catch up on the news and look at the stocks that I'm, I might be buying or adding to. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, but the good thing on that is that the market closes at one yeah. and I usually spend another hour or two, but then I've got the whole afternoon to, to do stuff. Um, if you have a family, uh, this I thought actually thought this was good because I would get off to work early before anybody woke up, and so we have five kids now. They're all fully grown, and uh, but I miss the chaos of the morning when everybody's losing their lunch and they forget their homework and things like that. But I would be able to pick them up from school at three o'clock and things like that. So there is advantages on the other side to all that. Um, but I would do more work after the market closes, looking for more other ideas, things I missed and such. But I would, yeah, go again, look through Market Smith 250 to see what might have broken out, what I missed and such. So I, I, a lot of it on Sunday and then additional stuff during the week. And when that bell rings um, and the stock pushes through a pivot that you're watching, are you waiting until half an hour after the bell, 45 minutes after the bell, because often stuff can reverse very early on in the day. So I was wondering how you kind of handle that. Yeah, I, I usually like to wait. I, I, if I make more mistakes, uh, where I make most of my mistakes is if I, if I actually start trading too early. Because it's amazing how some of these things, they're just going to, they gap up two points. They look like, oh my gosh, here we go. The thing's breaking out. Yeah. You buy it and then half an hour later, you're already down a couple of points because it's just pulled right back in. Same thing on the, on the downside, you think, oh my gosh, I got to kick this thing out because it just broke support. 45 minutes later, it starts marching on back. So I like, 
I actually like to wait for the market to calm down. Hmm. And sometimes I miss something. Sometimes it breaks out and it gaps up and then it just keeps on going. But what you can do is, is just maybe even wait the first 10 minutes yeah. and see if it makes a new high or, and, and go with that. But I've seen so many stocks. I, I go, I, I, you know, they, they actually gap down. I go, what, why did it gap down? I mean, not a huge gap, but the thing's down 3%, 2%. And I look around, I can't find any news. And then the thing starts marching on back. So you just got to go a little bit slower in those first 10, 15, 20 minutes, because there's just all sorts of strange things going on. Absolutely. And um, now I think it'd be awesome to talk about kind of the, the current market conditions and also uh, get into some leaders and, and stocks you're watching. Maybe you could go ahead and share your screen and, and bring up MarketSmith and maybe we can, uh, to start things off, uh, bring up a chart of uh, the QQQ, another index that you're watching and talk about um, how you're viewing the current market conditions. Okay. Uh, share. Okay. You're seeing it. Okay. Um, yep. Well, there's QQQ's... Um, Actually, you know, I mean, it's it's actually coming back up to highs. But if if you look at this, and if I can, let me get my line pan going. This actually hasn't been out really out outperforming the S and P for since February of of this year, mm -hmm. and so I'm thinking it's losing a, a a little bit of steam. I mean, it's it's still nice. It's still back into an uptrend. But the other thing, it actually came down on some pretty big volume. Right. And now it's rallying on some pretty light volume. So it's it's just something to, to keep an eye on. Um, and then the spiders, you know, the S&P looks stronger. It's gone into new high ground because it's a little bit more diversified. And now you got oils and, and financials, which hadn't performed well. Um, and it's And so this is not so much concentrated. Uh, as as like the Nasdaq or the the triple Qs are, uh, and then the Russell Russell same thing. The thing's been look at look at the look at the relative strength yeah. that this has been going against for the longest time. So it's it's still you know mega caps. These are Russell is smaller, but I would think this would start doing well because it does have a lot of financials in it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's been a really, I mean, I, I call it's, it's a huge rotation market moving from group to group to group. And at the beginning of the year, I, I was on IBD live and I, I was, I think it was the first week of the year. And I was, I was saying, Hey, a lot of these technology stocks have had a huge move and they're starting to, to, to get very, very volatile, volatile. And I said, you got to start looking at these other groups. And this is, this is one mm -hmm. that actually started performing well. And I'll, I'll give you, the, that's a daily, here's a weekly. Here's, an, you know, here's the fertilizer group. And I was saying, hey, look at the fertilizers, look at the steels, look at some of these ones. And everybody was going, what, are you kidding? These aren't growth stocks. Well, there are times when growth stocks don't work and things that haven't done well in a while or commodities and mm -hmm. prices start moving higher. And I got a terrific move in the first three or four months of the year by looking at this and looking at some of the other, uh, you know, the, the other stocks, oil and gas stocks started doing well. Um, steel started doing well. And then 
And then technology started coming back again. It rotated back in. See, so here's, so, you know, here's the, here's the beginning of the year in January, you had an, a, just a continuation move of this whole move mm -hmm. from the bottom for just another month or so. And then it turned into a real chop for the next three or four, uh, well, that was almost five months period of time. And then, then we got this move. So it, 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 it was cyclicals, then it was back to growth. And then, and now it's, it's kind of, now it's like every week, it's a different, a different group of, a, uh, a different area. And so what I'm constantly doing is I'm just going to look and see what has done, what has done well during this year, what has sat out for the last two months and what, what could be coming on again. And that worked. Um, and that just worked extremely well today because last in the last couple of weeks, I've been starting to look at the steel stocks again mm -hmm. because they had this great move and everybody was talking about them, but then they got out of favor or the group and, and it came down. But really, if you look at it, it only got a couple of days of, of bad volume. Mm -hmm. And then they report them I and look at the earnings now. And you have to be careful when the earnings are extremely good on cyclicals, you're, you're usually towards the top, but really you've only gotten about four quarters so far of, of big earnings. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got, you've got some more, some more quarters to come on these, on these stocks. But anyway, but you just take the groups that were strong that are out of favor for four five, six weeks, you start looking for a turn and that, that worked well there. Steel dynamics, similar um, situation. Um, and then uh, oil and gas, these had a great move at the beginning of the year. See, I mean, here's since December, here's Callum Petroleum went from, you know, 15, 16, all the way up to 60. Yeah. Came down now and, and, and corrected much too much that I like, but I still still bought this as it was starting to turn and the price of oil took off and it had a, a terrific move, but, but other ones in the group like, uh, Oasis, um, you can see all the alerts I had on this one, yeah. this, this setup again, after a, a terrific move, set up really a cup and a, a lower handle. And then, uh, and then that has had a, a move out Denbury. I think this is a little bit slower, not acting as well. A little bit choppier, but um, let's see. Oasis. Oh wait, that's I already went on that. But uh, EOG. Uh, that's another one. See, had a nice move, came down, and then started turning and has set up a consolidation and is is moving out again. And then I mean, then you've had other. You've had uh, you know technology stocks that have had uh, have had had. Oops, wrong one. Um, that have had great moves. I mean, this this one really only gave you one chance, and this was only a, a, a couple week pullback, but that's that's been a, a good mover. So, and then you have some new issues too that have done well. So, but it's 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 constant rotation, and you just yeah. have to try to stay in front of it, uh, and and almost and and buy when they break down trends because lots of times they get to highs and then they start stalling and then they pull back. And it's a little bit harder to buy 
to buy pullbacks that that have worked rather than get in a little bit earlier before the stocks move higher. And uh, David, when you first bring up a stock chart that, that you haven't seen before, what does your eye go to first? And how, how do you kind of move around the screen and, and analyze both the technicals and fundamentals of a, of a stock you've never heard of, heard, heard about before? Um, well, I, I, I usually just, let's, let me just, like I was looking at this one today, um, Advancic, uh, ASIX. The first thing I do is I look to see, and you can see the different um, trend lines I've, I've put on here. I, I look to see, first of all, is the stock in an uptrend? Mm -hmm. Is it close to its high? And then I focus in, is it, okay, now is it extended? This one is, it, this has only gone sideways for a couple of weeks. So I actually like to see longer bases. I mean, this is a better buy situation right here mm -hmm. where the stock's been in an uptrend, goes back and forth for five or six weeks, and then it comes through. Um, to me, I like the longer buy points better than these short bases because I think short bases usually get short moves out of. Mm -hmm. And so, but I, I first focus on, I'm always just looking over here and, and within a few seconds, I can, I can say if I'm going to spend any more time with this stock, let me just, I'll, I'll bring up randomly. Here's, uh, here's IBM. Okay. Gap down, bad relative strength. I don't have to spend more than a, you know, a fraction of a second on that saying, it's yeah. gone. I don't, I don't want to look at that. Um, let's see, DuPont, 37 relative strength, downtrend, no. So, uh, okay, here's, here's a better one. Uh, AMD, okay, AMD, yes, this has been a strong stock. It's been an uptrend. Okay, but now I look at this and I go, okay, well, it should have been bought somewhere down in here yeah. where the majority of the base was. It's up here, it's extended. I think it looks it looks strong. I guess they have earnings in a day. That's another thing I don't want to buy right before earnings. It's extended. I'll put that, I click this button, I put it into my data monitor. And so I'll look at it again. But within seconds, I within a fraction of a second, I can tell if I should spend any more time on it. Mm -hmm. And then once, let's say I find something... Let's see, I, I, I look at something that's got a nice longer base on it. Okay, this is about a five or six week base on it. Nice, nice uptrend. The group is not in a great group, but if they ever pass uh, infrastructure, then this, this, this company will, will do well. I've done well in the past on this stock a few different times. And, but then I, from there I go to, um, I say that the chart looks good. Now it looks like it's breaking out, but then I go to the earnings down here. All those look good. Then I go to the weekly, um, and I, I like to see are the institutions. Well, this the institutions actually have dropped in the last couple of quarters, so that's not a good sign. Um, and then what kind of growth rate? Uh, Twenty-eight percent growth rate. So I just start going through the can some characteristics, but it yeah. all starts with looking at the. Uh, at, at the uptrend and the consolidation of the stock. So just to kind of summarize what you're saying, uh, you're looking for a strong uptrend and then within a base, you're looking for price tightness. Is that kind of what you're looking yeah. for very quickly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, 
I, I think it's really interesting. I've heard you say this a few times. You're looking for um, a breakout through the majority of the base. Basically, it's yeah. not, it doesn't have to be the, the high of the base, which is kind of the standard pivot. So could, could you tell, talk a little bit about that kind of any alternate buy points that you use or consolidation pivots, that type of thing, uh, to get in a little bit earlier than the true breakout? Yeah, I mean, for something like this, I mean, the, the high at this point was 101.96. But if I take this and I just draw, I try to make it so simple. And, mm -hmm. and this, I think, has helped a lot of people. I just say, draw the line. Find where the majority of the base was built under. And that's where your buy point is. So many people, they're looking for cups and handles. They're looking for double bottoms, triple bottoms. They're looking for pocket pivots. They're looking for low cheats, high cheats, mid cheats. They call them, they're looking for all these things. And I just say, look, don't make it complicated. Just draw the line over the majority of the base. And I'm saying like 90% of the base. And that's probably where your best buy point is. Yes, you can buy, you can look for lower, lower areas, but I would say that would, that's only for people who are, are more advanced to, to, mm -hmm. to look at these buy points because you still have overhead supply on, on these things that are lower, are lower down in the base. Right. And I just, you know, I just don't know if those work as well as something that a little, you know, higher in the base and still has all the, all the different characteristics. Makes sense. And um, could you talk to me a little bit about how you incorporate the relative strength line into your analysis? Because I think this is really a hidden gem that uh, a lot of traders don't even use. Um, and I was wondering how you use the relative strength line versus the RS rating, the 12 month RS rating into your process. Yeah, I, I, this, the RS rating, the number itself is, is just a general idea of how the stock is done. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, and I don't know if I can think of one right off, off the top of my head, of a stock that had a, had a great move and now is corrected 50%, it could still have a 99 relative strength. If you I think, think Zoom of last year... Uh that was the case with Zoom, yeah. yeah. I don't think its RS rating is, is that strong anymore, but back when it was correcting 50% off the highs, it's still at a 99, I think, just because of the super strong, powerful move. Yeah, let me, let me. I'm just thinking of things that it, oh yeah, a lot of these are now, their relative strengths are a lot lower, but yeah, but, um, yeah because what, what, is, what is happening is the relative strength number is calculated over a year period of time. And if I take like this, this is a year when well, no, that's the beginning of the year. If I take, uh, if I take where we are, this is a year period of time on, on Peloton. Mm -hmm. And so 20%, uh, 20% of the rating is, is this, is this action. 20% is this action. Another 20% is this action. And the last 40% is is this action so there's more waiting on the last quarter but if you have this huge move here then and the stock's off 50 percent, you still might have uh, a very very high relative strength number i like to look at the relative strength line and that line may be easier to see if you look at the weekly that line is against the s p 500 which is a little bit more constant and so so you can see even as this stock was you know, still staying at, at, at highs, the relative strength line was starting to break. So 
I put a lot more weight in how this is how this stock is acting relative to this line. And you can see, you can see even this, you know, a lot of people are going, okay, maybe this is a buy spot on this stock. It looks like it's starting to break out and it's formed a big cup, but look how it's acting on a relative basis. This is where the relative strength line was the last time it was at 124. Now the stock actually hits 129 and the relative strength line is actually lower. Right. Saying, saying that this thing's not, it's just not acting well versus the market. So I put a, a lot more weight into how this is doing. So you can see some real divergences that are occurring when stocks are making new highs and the relative strength line is not making new highs. And I mean, here's, I, here's an example. Look at Look how well Amazon was acting on a relative basis back here. Right. Stock actually breaks out of a base. Everybody's getting excited. It, it goes for three days. Look where the relative strength line is now at this point versus where it was even at lower prices back before. It's not the same stock. It's not as strong as it was before. And so that's where you have to be careful of stocks breaking out. If the relative strength line is nowhere near the high, you have to be very suspect. And so it, and then you can also use it on the, on the downside when the relative strength line is starting to rally. Yeah. And this isn't a good example. When the market's in a downtrend and the relative strength line is starting to rally in a bad market, that's a, a very good sign. If you actually look at Amazon back in the 2020 correction, you, you had a great example of that. The RS line is making new highs uh, before the price within the base. Yeah, here it is. Here it is back here. Yeah, look at the relative strength line going up. But yeah, now look at the relative strength line. It's in decline, e yeah. Yeah. And that's where a lot of people have to get out of their mind. A great company versus a great stock. You want you want a great company and a great stock. And I, Bill said this. I think a lot of people have said this. The only good companies are the are, are the only good stocks are the ones that are going up. Who wants to hold one that's <laughs> underperforming and going down? Exactly. Exactly. Um, I was curious to to know uh, your thoughts on this. Uh, what do you think about concentration uh, being in only a few stocks at a time and how, how many stocks are in your typical portfolio now and and how is it different back when you're kind of um, trading in the U.S. investing championships and kind of building up your capital over the years? Yeah, now I I tend to spread out more. I usually go 10 stocks, but and, you know, 10 percent in each position. But if something is acting well and actually even has had some nice upside then that could go to a 15 to a 20% position. I'm not as concentrated as, as much. I don't have to push it as hard, but I still have that voice in the back of my head from O'Neill's, you know, saying you got to take advantage of, of great stocks. And, um, and, you know, if you're not up a hundred percent every year, you're a failure. <laughs> so, you know, so, I've always had that in the back of my mind. And that was the pressure about working there is that, you know, you had to, you had to keep up with him or, and, and, you know, he was, he was so good. He was, he was somebody I've never seen anybody do this and do it as, as, as well as he has is take the whole market and boil it down to one stock and put everything in that one stock fully margined and stay with it the whole time. I mean, I, I still remember talking to the CFO of the company and, and he said, yeah, what Bill would ask him every day is how much buying power do I have? 
and just keep on buying and buying and buying, a, you know, something that, and he, but he was able to take the whole market and identify the real big yeah. leader and be able to put everything in it. Um, you know, I want to sleep at night. I want to make sure my family's taken care of. I don't want, I don't want to be fully margined. I, I don't think I've been on margin in, uh, in like seven or eight years because it, but the one, and then the thinking about that, it's not like, oh, the guy's a chicken and I don't want to go on margin. If you're dealing with very strong, very, I call them high octane stocks. You know, mm -hmm. it's a lot of can slim stocks are very high growth. They have more volatility. And so when I'm 80% invested and I've got a number of these stocks, to me, that's the equivalent of being 140% invested because they have much bigger swings than the general market. And these days I like to, I like to have a mix, have a few very high octane, but then some other ones that are just stronger growth stocks and, and, and some that are a little bit, you know, a little bit slower, but um, because it's, again, I, I've been there where it's like one day, all of a sudden click the, the light goes out on your growth stocks and they start falling so fast. You can't get out fast enough and yeah. you can, you start losing 10% in a day and you go, Oh my gosh, what is, and you can't sell fast enough. So anyway, that's, that's, you know, and then as you get older, maybe get more conservative and you don't have to push it. So. Gotcha. And uh, I was just wondering um, if you kind of have a favorite bill story that you'd like to share with everybody listening. Um, yeah. A favorite bill story. Um, uh, <laughs> I kind of put you on the spot there. Yeah. I don't know if I have a, he was, you know, he was, very, you know, very uh, focused on really pushing I mean, and, and really emphasizing that this is the best way to make money in the market through these these growth stocks. And I still remember meetings, um, Monday morning meetings with the salespeople. Well, when somebody would come up and says, hey, well, I've got a I've got a, a manager who is a value manager. And is there a way we can develop a product for him or a screen for him to help him pick stocks? And, and Bill would just chop that guy to pieces and everybody, no one wanted to look up because we just knew what was coming. And it, because he would say, what is that guy doing? You got to convince him. He's got to be a growth manager. That's the only way to make money. And so um, he could be, he could be kind of ruthless going after people who didn't really fall into, in, into his philosophy. So, um, I don't know. The other thing is, I guess uh, this is a, a, just a minor thing is that, uh, around when I first started doing well and I was able to, to, uh, place orders in the trading room, the institutional trading room, mm -hmm. they would call him the bullet and I would be called the BB because I was the younger one, the smaller one. And uh, when that would how, how they would designate our trades of who it was for. So uh, that was my nickname going way back <laughs> a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, also just curious, uh, what was it like being interviewed for, for Market Wizards way back when, uh, along with O'Neill? Um, well, I, I guess he was interviewed in his office. I was in a cubicle among uh, probably about 20 other cubicles. 
And I think if you, I, I haven't read it in a long time, but if you, if you read the description of where I worked, I mean, back in those days, these, the terminals where you would get quotes on, they were these bunker, bunker Ramo machines and they were very expensive and you would actually share it with the person on the other cubicle on the other side of the wall. And there would be a divider cut in and you would just move this thing back and back and forth. And that's, you know, we didn't have all these charts and computers and that's, that's all we had. You had to update your daily graphs by hand. You would put a mark in on your chart. And so, um, yeah, I, I think Jack Swaggered, uh, that he just sat, I had a chair in my cubicle and that's, that's where he interviewed me, but, you know, Hey, that was fine. As long as I had, I had quotes and I had the charts to look at and all the information I was, I was happy. It doesn't, you don't have to have a zillion monitors and, and a giant office. You can do this now anywhere on, on your, on your iPhone. Yeah. Uh, again, back a little bit into 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 how you trade. Um, wh when you establish a position in a stock, and you've kind of a, got a desired amount of your portfolio you want to invest into that stock, do you go in all at once, or are you kind of waiting for the market to confirm um, that that you're actually right and kind of pyramiding up into the position? Yeah, I, I like to. Um, I usually like to start with uh, like a two and a half position, and then even on that day, if it starts confirming, then I might go to a five percent position, and then the next day, if it continues to follow through, then I'll try to quickly go to a ten percent position. When I'm buying a stock, I'm feeling that I, I my expectation is that stock should go up immediately when I'm buying if I've timed that stock correctly. Yeah. And so I have the expectations that it's going to start going up. If it doesn't go up, then I'm not going to add to it. Uh, if the market doesn't confirm my thinking, then, um, then I just won't make it a bigger position. You know, especially if it starts going down, I'm not going to be adding to a losing position. Um, so then, you know, if it turns around, then I, I will, but uh, yeah, if my, I, I, I I'm so, sure on 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 my timing that that it should almost be hard to buy too I, I should be buying it and it starts taking off and it's actually hard to buy stock yeah. and getting and getting a position the best stocks are the stocks you're up immediately on those will usually be your your really big winners so and and it's only add to the the really big winners or only add to the stocks that you're you, you already have a profit in and then where you make the big money is if you do it i think you know you get a a multi-month multi and then even a multi-year move where a stock you, you buy it once and it takes off and it makes a and it and it has a great run it makes a new base and then it form then it breaks out and goes again well, you can double your position at that point. You can add more to it. And then, because mm -hmm. that's, that's where you get the compounding effect of, of just adding more money to those winning positions. Gotcha. And uh, just to start to, to wrap things up, I think it'd be awesome to uh, walk through a base. Um, I don't know if you've got an idea in mind, uh, a recent stock that you bought maybe, and kind of see how you you analyze that base. Look for those little details that tell you that's under accumulation or it's under distribution. And um, yeah, just kind of how see how you read a chart pattern and and uh, basically uh, let the stock tell you that it's it's it could be a high potential leader. 
Well, this is this is a good example, um, and this gets back to this is uh, Generac, and yeah. I, I've actually done the, gone over this a few times. But here's a stock that had a five-year base, and mm-hmm. here's a stock that I had a need for in the um, in actually three years, almost three years, a uh, little under three years. There was a huge fire that came through Malibu. And it, it burned down thousands of uh, utility lines and poles, utility poles. And we were out of power for 18 days. And I needed a generator. I was actually looking for one even before the fire came because every time the, the, um, Southern California Edison would, there would be high winds, they would turn off the power. Right. So anyway, I looked into the generator. I actually bought a Generac generator. And this is, I actually bought, well, it was, um, it was actually, this is where the fire hit. And then I, I got it installed <laughs> like right about here. And then it's set up just perfectly. And, but I love the long base yeah. and, and you can see that the stock broke out and it's, and it broke out on a lot of volume and you can see that had a great move up. I mean, it doubled in price. It went from 60 to 120. Then we got into, COVID and the lockdown, and then it set up another base. And then this, so here was a whole new buy point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can see it's had, it's actually had a few bases along the way. Here's another one. And maybe I can go into the daily and, and show you that. Um, yeah, this is, this is more, here it is breaking that downtrend. And it got, it got, I don't, I'm not sure why it had this, this, there wasn't any earnings here. It might've been a secondary. It had one huge day of volume and it, and it did have some distribution here, but look how this stock, how it started changing right around at this point where look at the, just look at the color of the, of the blue volume, how the volume changed and you've got multiple days in a row. And I always love to see that the bigger, the volume, the better. Mm-hmm. And it, it had actually had three days down. I mean, if you take from, you take from really from almost this point to this point, this stock looks like it traded. I'm just guessing 22 days up and maybe four or five days down. Right. And just showing you that a, you know, just a tremendous amount of buying, especially when you get it above average daily volume. The other thing I like to see when a, a, a base is forming is sometimes I call this an undercut. Some people call it shakeout. It's the same term. Um, and what this is, is that it undercut, it didn't undercut over here, it undercut this price. Mm-hmm. And and so what it does, it's, it scares all these people who bought the stock during during this section in here so you get you get out the weak holders and what you want to see is you want to see the stock turn and turn very very quickly and we'll see that yes now the volume started picking up and it started coming up and out of there um so then i mean you could have gotten an early start but here is just make it simple let's draw a line over a majority of the downtrend and that gets you in right? You would buy it on this breakout, pulls back, and then you can add to it. And then you get a terrific run out of that stock. Now it's chopping back and forth, but it's still, 
it's still in an uptrend. Relative strength line is still confirming. And along the way too, you know, all the new highs have been confirmed by, by the relative strength line. So now they're about to earn, about to um, report in another eight days. But from what I, I've heard and read is that you have, you put in an order for their generator and you're waiting six months to get delivery. So there's a huge demand out there. I mean, every time there's a storm, I mean, even the electrical grid is not very good. Yep. And I mean, all the different problems we've had over the last year from freezing and, you know, freezing in Texas to fires in California, it's almost like this is, you almost need one of these now because yeah. you can't depend on the utility company. Right. And all those days up in a row are, are basically with very few down days. That's kind of similar to your ANTS indicator, right? Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk that's, about a little bit of what that is? Yeah. Yeah. That's something I, I, I came up with back when I was running the mutual fund for uh, William O'Neill and company in the new USA growth fund, because what would happen is that we would stick to stopping our buy at 10% out of the base. And I would, I would see that the buying would just continue on afterwards. And that, that those turned out to be some of the biggest stocks where we right. would finish their buying. There were still other institutions that were out there buying it. So I just started, I asked the question, what's the difference between a stock that's going to make just a 20% move and, and be done with it, or a stock that's going to have a multi-year move or a multi-month move and have huge uh, performance? And it, I found that it was usually the buying at the beginning of the move. And you can actually see it's occurred a few different times. I mean, yeah. here it, it occurred over in here. And uh, then you can see it occurring over here. And so it just, what it tells you is that there are institutions out there that they, and they do a, you know, a tremendous amount of research that they found that, hey, this is a company that could have a great growth for a while. And they have 3 million shares to buy and they can't get it done, especially let's say, I mean, Today, the stock trades 600,000. So even if they're, they're buying three or 4 million shares, it's going to take them a number of days, if not weeks to complete. Yep. If you have more than one institution doing the same thing, then this can go on for weeks. And that's what I found. This is just showing you huge institutional money getting aboard a stock and taking a long-term position in it. And that's what creates the trends that we can ride as as uh, right. retail investors. Yeah, yeah, and the, and the characteristics are this is what I kind of boiled it down to is you want you want a stock that is up twelve out of fifteen days. You want a stock that has a, about a twenty five percent move during those fifteen days, and you also want the volume up twenty five percent during those fifteen days. That's just the mark of a number of institutions taking a big position. Uh, in a in a company, the other the one other thing you have to be careful of though is if the stock has been moving for a long time and you get those exact same characteristics like it could might have actually happened here. Yeah, is that it's actually it's it sometimes I, I it was just a great indicator because we found it was showing up at the beginning of the move and it was showing up at the end of the move when the stock was getting very extended, and so. 
I, it was the first time I'd ever seen an indicator that could work both ways. Right. And, the, you know, the, the climactic move is when, you know, everybody recognizes it and everybody can't take it anymore and they've all got to buy it. And that's usually a, the climactic move and the stock's over. In this case, it was over for about three or four months. But in other cases, that's the end of the move for years. So um, it, it actually works. Um, it's, it's worked very, very well. And going along those lines, uh, net, if you could bring up Net and Cloudflare, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your take on this one because this is showing a little bit of a change in slope and an accelerated move on volume. So yeah, what are your thoughts on this chart? Yeah, the, well, this this is, uh, to me, it's it's getting, it's, well, I mean, it's extremely extended. And you have to always go back and look and see where the stock has been. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you look at this and even before, well, I guess, you know, even before it went through somewhat of a correction in uh, the, for the first six months of this year, um, you know, the stock is, you know, has already gone from, it went from 20 to 80. Okay, built a new base and now it's gone from 80 to 189. So it's gone a long way and now it's getting, you know, I, I've always yeah, said, uh, okay, look at the the angle of of assault, <laughs> the angle of the uh, the the move, and it's going like that, and now it's going like this. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's that's probably telling you that it's probably getting closer to the end of the move, um, and not the beginning of the move, because of how far it's already gone. Yeah. If this was happening, you know, back here, yeah. and it almost looks like it happened back here. Yeah. I mean, look at this. Look at this period from. You know, from this spot to, you know, I, I don't know, this spot, you really had one day down, two days down, and it looks like you had, it looks like about 12 or 13 days up. So, um, so again, it, but if you, if you get that and you've, and you had a move like this, it's telling me the odds are in your favor that it's probably getting close to the, the end of the move. And you got to be careful. If you own it, then I would probably be looking for a reversal um, and just piecing a little bit out every day. Gotcha. And uh, not necessarily with this stock, but a, a stock that you own that that goes through a base and then and then kind of fails a breakout or, or breaks key moving averages. What, what would cause you to basically sell a position that you have, if that makes sense? Well, if it um, if it comes back, if I'm, I mean, if it's a stock that I had just bought, and if it breaks out and then pulls back, um, then it would be the stock coming back down into yeah. the base and also coming back. I mean, like this one, I know I owned this during this this period, and then I think I sold it on on this break, and I mm -hmm. never bought it back. I mean, this is just crazy. I've, it's very very rarely do you see a stock that breaks down that quickly and then comes back yeah. so much. Yeah. But that's. To me, again, it's it's sort of the the times we are in with so much liquidity. Some of these things are doing things that that are just very very un, un, uh, unexpected. But basically, if you do have a position, it's trending nicely above the moving averages, and then starts breaking the fifty day, ten week on volume. Is that kind of your indication that the trend might be changing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, you just you're always looking for change. You're looking for you know, what, what's happening in the supply demand ratios of the stock. And this, you know, right now, yes, this is very, very strong, but just even, a, I guess, uh, last week, it got some huge volume on the downside. 
um, which is almost, I think it's about as big as all the volume on the upside. But, but today with the market being fairly strong, this one kept on going out. But so you're, you're looking for a change in characteristic. And right now, yes, that's a change because it's now going up almost vertically. And that's, I've always said, that's like this, the air shows that you, you'd see, you go to the airport and the, 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 you know, the, the planes flying along the runway, and then it starts going up a little bit faster and then a little bit faster, and then it starts doing this. And at some point it's going to start stalling. Right. And it's, you know, if, if you can, it's great to have one of those, but you still have to treat it the right way and and sell some of it out when it's going through that because eventually it's going to stop makes sense and uh you, you had upsc on here earlier but i'd love to hear your thoughts maybe on some other growth leaders like uh um afrm which doesn't have the earnings but the the price actually is super strong and just kind of go through the the true market leaders in the growth space that you think um basically what you think the true market leaders are at this moment uh well I mean, up upstart. Look, that's 150 to 400 in yeah. in like in like th three months or two months or so. Um, you know, I, I guess if you're again, if your time frame is shorter, you can look for pullbacks to a little prior base or back to very close to the you know 21 day moving average. Um, this, uh, but you always keep on looking at that volume and it, we haven't gotten any bad volume on the, on the downside, but today it was up, but the volume wasn't as heavy as some of the, the down days. So, right. uh, I, you gotta be careful on buying, on buying pullbacks. Um, what's, uh, what's, uh, is it a AFRM? Affirm. Yeah. 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 Affirm. Um, you can see ex extended and it looks like today it stalled, mm -hmm. but I, it's just, when I see a stock that goes from 70, 70 to 160, I just, you know, I, I, I don't own it. I wish I did, but, um, I, I just wait until a whole new base is built. Okay. I, I don't spend a whole lot of time. And if I owned it, um, you know, so far it really doesn't look like it's done anything wrong. So you just, you just stay with it, but to buy it, uh you know right here i it just you take too much risk gotcha um yeah and maybe one more coin coinbase which is a recent ipo the the entire kind of crypto theme is also kind of working at this moment which i don't know if that's something you're uh you're interested in or or um yeah looking at yeah well this this is uh you know this is again straight up from from yeah. 250 325 I've been in, and this is only because of instructions from my son, Sean. Yeah. Um, we had, I mean, this guy, he picked it perfectly back here. We were getting in down here and we rode this thing up into that area. And then when it started turning again back in here, he said, let's get back on this thing. And we've had a nice little run, not as big of a position as before. Um, but that's, that's the only <laughs> He's the one who was told me we should be buying this stock. Um, uh, so I, again, I just think there's, this is where I, I you know, maybe I'm getting old, but I just think there's just so much speculation going on that sooner or later, it, there's going to be a time where it's going to, uh, and I only felt this once before. This was during the 2000 period where there were stocks, internet stocks that would correct 50%. 
yeah. turn around and double and triple from there. And I always, my rule was if a stock dropped more than 50%, I wouldn't even look at it anymore because it'd have to double to get back to the old highs. But you're seeing things that, that are happening. I mean, the same thing in, in Bitcoin. It's already doubled from the low. Mm-hmm. And, and this goes on, it can go on for a while, but at some point, um, and I heard this so many times in 2000, 2001, where people said, I made so much money in the internet stocks, and then I, I didn't sell, and I lost it all back. You have to have a sell discipline. If you're operating in the market and you're just buying based on what everybody's talking about or, or just a, you know, a chart that's going straight up, you have to have a sell discipline. You have to have, how do you get out? And you know, it's always, how do you get out in? How do you get out? You have to have both sides uh, because some of these things are gonna correct and they're gonna correct dramatically. And if you don't have sell rules, you're gonna lose a lot of money. Um, and this is, again, this is a period which I've only seen a few different times and they don't last that long, uh, but you try to take as much advantage as you can while it's happening. Absolutely. Is there any, are there any other concepts you wanted, you wanted to cover when it comes to charting or, uh, I always like to wrap it up with uh, one last question, but if, if there's something else you'd like to mention, or you think it's important for, for people to realize about how to interpret charts, go for it. I, th- I think the way you interpret charts is you study, you just study the great winners. You look, I look at them week by week, day by day. I look at their moves. I look at their volume. I look at their price patterns. And I get that. I get the, the way you're going to do better is you're going to get what a move looks like. If you can get that ingrained in your head, I mean, even on, let me, let me go back. Uh, you know, you can just take this one stock, Generac, you, and you study it on the breakout and on the move and on the continued move, and you look at the correction, and you look at all the ways that the stock has moved during this period, you're gonna develop the, the, you're gonna start realizing what the characteristics look like of of a great performing stock. And you gotta get that memorized in your mind so when you see it show up again, you'll be able to act upon it. That's the best way to, to do that. You can read all the books you can, and I have a little bit problem with you know books that have been written since O'Neill's book because a lot of the books that have come out, you know, some of them they add a little bit to our knowledge, but so much of the literature out there and the stuff on the internet is just regurgitating the same things that Bill put down 20, 20 years, 30 years ago. And they change the concepts, they change, or they, they don't change the concepts, they just change the names. And they're just putting new names on things that have already existed and then have already been pointed <laughs> and pointed out. And then, and, but I guess that, that sells book, but I just have, I just have a problem with people keep on coming, you know, repeating the same things that are out there. Again, there's nothing new under the sun. A great winner is going to act the same way it did decades ago as it, as it is now. Absolutely. And even going back to Jesse a little bit more with the pivotal points, the same right. patterns repeat over and over again, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, David, thank you so much for your time. I always like to end it with uh, one last question. Uh, what kind of general advice would you have for a trader who's just getting started or has, maybe has been doing this for two, three years, but is struggling to stick with the system, find something that works and and become consistently profitable? Yeah. I, I, I th- first, go slower. I mean, use 
Don't use all your money. Use a, 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 a portion of your money until you can start making progress in the market. That would be one thing. The second thing is, you know, study the great winners uh, and, and get those characteristics, you know, down in your mind of what to look for. Uh, and just study those, spend hours. I've spent you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours studying these great winning stocks. And, um, and then, you know, then you know, read Bill's book and read that over again. Read, you know, there's, there are not that many classics that you, that you should be reading. Um, and, then, and then just have an, a, a very humble attitude. Be willing to examine your, yourself, your mistakes, and see where you're going wrong and correct those mistakes because that's where you're gonna learn as much as you will from reading every investment book out there. And um, outside of a Bill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks, of course, which everybody should read, uh, what, are, what are a few titles that you think are definitely worth it for new traders to, to pick up and, and take a look at? I, you know, I think Darvis's book, How I Made $2 Million in the Stock Market, that's yeah. a classic. You can read that in a night. That's a great, that's a great book. Um, I am Mark Minervini. He's got a couple books out. I think those are good. Um, and, and he just, he kind of expands on, on some, on some things. And I think some of his best, uh, best parts are on risk management. Yeah. Um, because Bill doesn't talk too much about risk management. Um, other than, other than that, I, you know, I, as I said, this Bible behind me, I, that's, it's just, it's wisdom for investing. It's wisdom for life. And it's, to me, it's truth. And, and, and just keep everything in perspective. This market's going to come and go. There'll be another markets. There'll be another great winners. Don't get so upset if you're underperforming or you miss the great big winner this year. There'll be another one coming this year because, uh, you know, that's what's so good about this country. There are always successful companies that are being formed and those will be on the market in a couple of years. And sooner or later, you're going to get a big winning stock and you're going to go, boy, this is, this is terrific. So just stay optimistic, stay humble and, and work hard is, is I think the key. Perfect. Uh, well, David, thank, thanks again so much for your time. It was really a pleasure for me to, to have this chance to sit down with you. I, I told you before we started recording how much uh, you kind of taught me through videos and books from afar. So this has been really been awesome. Um, to everybody watching, I hope you enjoyed as well. Remember to leave a like down below and subscribe to the Trailline channel if you haven't already. And we'll see you guys in future videos. Thanks. Yeah, bye-bye.